I'm Cindy Lauper. My psoriasis was all over, even on my scalp, which may mean four times the risk for psoriatic arthritis. But Cosentix works on both. Cosentix secukinumab is prescribed for adults with moderate to severe plaque psoriasis 300 milligram dose and adults with active psoriatic arthritis 150 milligram dose. Don't use if you're allergic to Cosentix. Before starting, get checked for TB. Serious allergic reactions, severe skin reactions that look like eczema, and an increased risk of infections, some fatal, have occurred. Cosentix may lower ability to fight infections, so tell your doctor if you have an infection or symptoms like fevers, sweats, chills, muscle aches, or cough, had a vaccine or plan to, or if IBD symptoms develop or worsen. Learn more at Cosentix.com or one 844 Cosentix. Ask your doctor about Cosentix. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour, and they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. Hello and welcome back to Highway to Hoover, a production of SEC Extra over at D1Baseball.com. I'm your host, Joe Healy, joined as always by my co-host and good friend, Mark Etheridge. And before we get into a fall roundup episode of highway to hoover as i would call it we've got a, a bunch of little stuff to touch on here a potpourri if you will <laughs> uh, of items here uh, i have to let you know that this highway to hoover podcast and every highway to hoover podcast as we get into the 2024 season is brought to you by pitch logic the system used by players coaches scouts and instructors at all level of play from youth leagues to the big leagues the easy to use and affordable technology makes the platform accessible to every player at every level all the metrics and features used at the highest level See pitchlogic.com for more information. Uh, Mark, as always, we're going to start off with our football segment. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know if people love or hate that about us, but we're just going to keep doing it stubbornly yeah. um, regardless. Um, specifically, I, so I didn't get to see a lot of the Oregon-Washington game. Um, I saw the last, I was at Clemson Coastal, the fall exhibition on Saturday, kind of right around the same time. I did pull it up on my phone with three or four minutes left in the fourth quarter, so I got to see... Mm-hmm. the key moment where you know Oregon went for it late in the fourth quarter and then Penix drives them down the field and, and then the, the missed field goal yada yada I think most people listening to this that follow college football have, have seen that by now and there's a lot of criticism about Dan Lanning and his going for it and I think so it happened twice into the first half and then end of the game more than that I mean he, he well, was right, 0 for 4 on fourth down right he's super aggressive um so I think we can quibble about maybe the one leading up to half because they sure could have used three points then. Um, but I don't hate the fourth quarter call from, from a couple of standpoints. One is just the simplicity of like, look, do we really want to give the ball back to Michael Penix? If we can keep the ball out of their hands, I think we you need to do that. And it's not like it was fourth and 12, right? I mean, mm-hmm. so I understand that. I also have heard a theory and I, I've heard it in a few different places, but I'll give credit to Bud Elliott from 247 Sports about this idea that this is kind of a new thought in time man- clock management in college football, that this is the football equivalent of a two-for-one in basketball. Mm-hmm. So I don't remember exactly how much time was left when they went for it, but it's like a push in two minutes, you know? And in today's college football, especially against good offenses, as we know, two minutes is like a lifetime, right? Candy. Especially if they have timeouts. And, and so... Right, exactly. So Oregon's looking at it and saying, okay, A, if we get this first down, the game is 
effectively over at that point. Um, because now we're getting into mm-hmm. scoring range already and, and we and can watch no timeouts. Okay. Yeah. I, I forgot about the timeout situation. So yeah, they could basically melt the clock down at that point. And also barring that, if we don't get it, okay, we turn the ball over. Not great. May we stop them. But even if we don't, we have Bo Nix, a good offense of our own. And we're going to have Washington is probably going to score quickly enough that we're, there's a decent chance we get the ball back with 45 seconds left or something. Mm-hmm. Now, again, that's a lot of ifs, ands, or buts there. But I do understand the logic a little bit of if we're going to give the ball up, let's give it up now yeah. <laughs> when we still have a puncher's chance of getting the ball back. And so, again, I, you know, I think reasonable yeah. people can disagree with that, but I can at least see the logic. Yeah. This is a challenge for me. I mean, it's the whole maddenization of, of football strategy. Um, I mean, back, back in my day, I mean, it, it was, you, you tried to hold the ball and run the clock out by getting first downs. And if you didn't, you punted and you played defense. Okay. And that was the way it was. I can remember all these times where, you know, in today's world, if you, you break loose and you score and you have a chance to score in the final few minutes, you don't score. You, you, you take a knee at the one yard line to kill more time. Right. And that was never a thing, you know, back when I played back in the old days. So, so, so that part has, has been an adjustment because I can remember having the conversation with my dad, you know, the, the announcer would say, yeah, you don't want to score too quick. And he'd like, the hell you don't. You want to get those points when you can get them because you're not guaranteed to get them, right? And I can I, – I, so that's, you know, you're, you're, you, you get those impressions, you know, as, as, you, as you age. And that's always been my thought. And, and that's sort of evolved as the sport has evolved. So here's the thing about the, this specific thing with, with landing, the, the two-for-one concept, is you aren't trusting your defense at all. If if you're just going to give up the ball at midfield in hopes of they score quickly so I can get the ball back, I mean, there's no shot clock, okay? Not like basketball where you're guaranteed another possession if you do the two-for-one thing. My defense is so bad that I've got to get leave enough time on the clock after they score so quickly. That, to me, is – oh, that's a terrible message to send to your defense. Man, you guys suck so bad. we got to get our offense back out there. I just I just can't get along with that at all, right? From a psychological standpoint to your defense. You want them to go out and win the game for you. You don't have to depend on your offense. So so yeah. So so obviously different ways to approach it. And Dan Lanning is uber aggressive. And you know, you look at the analytics and the analytics say always go for it, whether it's fourth and ninety-nine on your one, always go for it. And and I don't you know, that's a problem for me because every team is different. Every situation is different. You, you have quarterbacks that get in grooves and they can do no wrong. And you also have it when they can do no right. And that's got to play into it. You can't just look at a chart to determine that stuff. So th- that to me is is where I land on that. It's, it's all situational based. You can't always go for it. You can't always punt, right? Like Jimbo Fisher seems to always punt. But I, I do think that that there's a happy medium, but it's all dependent on the flow when you have a feel for it, right? You just can't say, well, we're aggressive. That's our, that's our strategy. We're always going because you're, you're not going to make those right. If, if your team is not in the right flow. Funny thing about that is <clears throat> the situation you, you mentioned, not trusting your defense is that Oregon's defense is pretty good. Like at least yeah. pretty talented. And right? they stopped like, on three straight times. 
Yeah. So like, so I, I get that. And, and perhaps I'm, I'm frankly, perhaps I'm bastardizing is maybe a strong word, but just like, maybe I'm not quite a, like, I, I haven't heard this philosophy from Dan Lanning yet. So I don't, you know, I'm not plugged into Oregon's post-game press conferences or anything, you know, media availabilities, but um, so maybe I'm not quite on the nose of what they're looking to do there, but like, that's the general concept. So anyway, regardless, uh, best, that was the best game of the weekend. I, like yeah. I said, I was a little bit busy Saturday, so I didn't see every second of everything, but um, that was one of the best games of the year. I mean, it was, it was back and forth and, and I was, I was back and forth. I also watched some of Tennessee and A&M, which was the exact oh, right. opposite from an aesthetic standpoint, <laughs> right. but it was, yeah. it was compelling. You know, yeah. it was, it was close. Yeah. After the way Tennessee won games last year, the idea they're winning games this way is like, mm-hmm. Oh, it's, it's a real, real whiplash situation. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. It turns out those, those, uh, receivers that, you know, could burn every defensive back in the country they had last year, uh, don't grow on trees. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of a big deal. But can you imagine if they did have those receivers with Joe Milton's arm? Like th- that's all they would do. Yeah. <laughs> like if he, just if run he four could hit hurts all the time. You know, yeah. Well, that's thing. true. I mean, well, accuracy he's, he's is a the- thing. He's got the the arm strength, that's for sure. The good news about that is you could just tell Joe Milton if you overthrow him, you overthrow him. Never underthrow it, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah. Also, we won't we won't dive into this because we need to get to baseball stuff. But uh, actually, as I said, that the game of the weekend might actually have been Stanford's comeback against Colorado late Friday night. Nine to nothing at halftime. Ooh, my goodness. Uh, you know, I'm not a big uh, Coach Prime hater because I think he's he's think interesting. He's, fun. he's yeah. interesting. He's fun. I think he, you know, I think there's, we can quibble about some, the way he goes about some of the things, but I think ultimately like his players like him. And I think he, he, he actually is like a, a good coach to them and all that mm-hmm. stuff. But, um, but there are going to be a lot of people. There were a lot of people kind of savoring um, the way that game went down. I gave well, up on it. I went to bed. And <laughs> well, certainly it's humbling when you have such a huge lead and everybody's singing your praises. And then the next thing you know, you're losing. I mean, that's, that's hard for anybody to deal with, especially someone like him who's just, you know, he's been at the top for so long. Especially uh, against a Stanford team that really yeah. hasn't been able to move the ball since Andrew Luck was their quarterback. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, yeah. uh, no disrespect, I guess, Kevin Hogan. He was pretty good too. But, <clears throat> you know, anyway, just a shocking turn of events there. That was one I think we all collectively as a college football watching populace woke up Saturday and said, "What? wait, what happened? Yeah. <laughs> <Wait>. <laughs> yeah, I, I didn't know either. I, I gave yeah. up on it. Yeah. Yeah. Certainly. All right, let's uh let's get into some baseball stuff here. Uh like I said at the top, we're, we're going to this is a fall <clears throat> excuse me, a fall wrap, you know, uh, uh whip around kind of episode. We've got some fall nuggets and we, we had Chris Burke on as a guest last week and the week before that Mark and, and Runes were on the show and they talked about a big picture topic. So it's been a while since we've kind of dug in on specific stuff happening in the fall and, and we've ha- we've we've got some stuff to talk about. So let's do that now. Um, I think the one of the most interesting news items that we've had in the last couple of weeks, and, and we talked about this once before, but it actually turns out that Rintaro Sasaki, the player from Japan we talked about a few weeks ago, um, is coming to America. And I think at the time, I'll just speak for myself, but I think you were with me, Mark. At the time, I just kind of assumed, okay, this is a leverage play. Like he's ultimately going to play an NPB and because yeah. that's where the money is. Um, you know, this is just kind of an interesting leverage move, but it turns out, it's it wasn't so he will be eligible to begin play for the 2025 season that makes him draft eligible um, in 2027. 
I think I erroneously referred to him one time as being 18 already, but he's he's 17, so he would be draft eligible 2027, um, which is much sooner than he would have been theoretically posted by his NBP, NPB club. That would have been in the 2030s. Uh, their oh, system wow. there is <clears throat> their system there is frankly kind of antiquated, but I understand it because it kind of keeps because they want to keep their players right. It keeps the league strong because it is a strong mm-hmm. league. Um, and, and so their players aren't just basically all free agents every year, uh, to go to America. So I, I get it, but it is somewhat limiting in that the clubs in Japan have a lot of control over that. And so they have to wait a long time to be, to be posted. So, um, anyhow, so it gives him a lot quicker access to professional baseball here in America. Um, and then, so my big picture thing here, and then I'll throw it to you, Mark is, I also saw, and shout out to Arya Gerson, Vanderbilt beat writer, who does a fantastic job. She's been on top of this, and she also mentioned that, or she retweeted a story that a pitcher out there named Daiichi Hirano is also doing this. Hmm. And I, I do wonder if, I think we touched on this a little bit when we brought it up previously, yeah. but I do wonder if maybe this is the start of a trend in a world where the world is smaller, right? We talk about this in college sports to use a, to use a a comparison to something we talk about all the time, which is that, look, you, you rewind the clock 30 years and kids who grew up in LA went to USC or UCLA, or maybe the Arizona schools, right? Uh, kids who grew up in Florida went to FSU and went to Florida and maybe Georgia, but now you've got kids. The world is so small, relatively speaking, that you've got kids from all over the country going all kinds of places, right? So, that, that the world of, yes, rosters are still mostly regional in most places, but options are just wide open to kids. And I, I wonder if this is kind of the same thing from an international standpoint, which is just like, hey, we, we have a better understanding now of different pathways to getting where we want to get, which is Major League Baseball. And if I'm in PB you know, maybe, I, I don't know. I, I don't keep up with that league, but I wonder if they're a little worried just mm-hmm. because, and, and does it lead to reform? And, and we don't need to jump into this because you and I are way over our skis talking about <laughs> Japanese baseball reform. Yeah. But I do wonder if it leads to some changes to make players able to be posted earlier or, or the standard to be posted earlier, because what happens if you have some of these players and look, high school baseball in Japan is a big deal. So these players are high profile. Yeah. Um, do you start to have some talent get siphoned off? Um, it, it, so these some of these so, never end up in your professionally. Anyway, uh, throw it to you, Mark. What, what are your thoughts there? So the initial thought for me is there'll be a lot of eyes on on these early cases. And just like, you know, when Sonny DeShera went to Auburn from Samford and the thought was, okay, well, he, he's an, he was a nice player at Samford, but there's yeah, there's no way he's going to be able to handle SEC pitching, and then he's player of the year, right? So then everyone wants to be Sonny DeShera at that point. Every mid-major is is hit trying to, to catch on on an SEC team, and some were successful and some were not. So I do think that there's going to be a, a microscope on these early cases, and if it goes well, you know, if, if it's a success story, then, yeah, you're going to see a lot of it because it's, everyone's a copycat. Both, both from both sides, from the players and, you know, from from a college standpoint. But if it's not successful, then, then you, you, 
while you should look at the nuance and understand the specific case why, I think there's going to be a lot of people that go, well, you know, it didn't face good enough competition early. There wasn't a, a proper way to evaluate, you know, the readiness. And, and, and I think, you know, this could just be an anomaly, right? So, so I, I do think because of, you know, the high profile nature of this, that it's, it's a big moment, um, whether, you know, whether this young man, he's what, six one two fifty Is that what I saw? So he, he's almost like Sonny Deshera, right? He's a, he's that type of player. Um, I've seen him referred to as the Japanese Prince Fielder. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that's a great comp. Yeah. So, so those kinds of things, you know, it, there'll be a larger life. There'll be a big media scrutiny and how he handles this, not just from a baseball standpoint, but just all of the, the attention that, that, you know, a lot, a lot of guys won't get because he's kind of the, you know, he's the test case. And if this goes well, you, I, I think you're onto something. This could be, this could be a big deal. If, if he doesn't, then there'll probably be some others that'll try it, but it's not going to be the wave, you know, that it could be. <clears throat> and, and we should say like the only school he's really been linked to so far is Vanderbilt. That does not mean that is a, Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm certain I don't have any inside information here, obviously, but it doesn't mean it's a sure thing. I'm certain other schools are going to at least make an attempt here. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, <clears throat> one of the other things that's interesting to me in the big picture here is this is going to be a different for schools that want to try to play in this pool. It's going to be a different recruiting challenge, right? Because money, however you want to define that, whether it's scholarship percentage, um, NIL, the stuff that we know kind of drives a decent bit of the recruiting in college baseball is really not going to apply because we, th- these guys who were going to be legit draft picks, like, you know, uh, both of these guys are expected to be basically top two round draft picks for NPB. They're, so they were going to make real money in professional baseball in Japan. So obviously money is not the deciding the factor here. So if you're a program, you got to find something else to sell. And if you're Vanderbilt, obviously you can sell the history, the winning tradition, look at all of our players in the big leagues in the last, especially the last 10, 15 years. And then, Oh, by the way, it's a Vanderbilt education. Right. Um, so that's going to be interesting. Like what schools decide to play in this pool? Because I think we're talking about the upper crust players who come from Japan because it, it should be said, not a ton, but there are other Japanese players who end up in college baseball. For example, last year at Oregon, they had Riku Nishida. Now he came out of the junior college ranks though. And so that's the distinction I'm making is, Mm -hmm. you know, the players who maybe are fringier players in Japan who maybe understood the calculus of I may or may not get drafted into NPB. um, So let me look at some other avenues that might be better for me. That's one thing. Um, and we see that happen with international players from, from a few different places, but this is different where it's like, Hey, th- these guys would have made real money. Um, but instead they want to come do the, this college thing. Um, that's going to be a little bit different. That's new. And I'll be interested to see if this comes, becomes more of a thing, like which schools end up being the places that that get these guys. Yeah. I mean, just looking at it from a personal perspective, I mean, you're talking about an 18, 19 year old kid coming to a new country speaking a different language, you know, certainly not that they can't speak English, but they're certainly not speaking it conversationally every day. And, and that adjustment, in addition to, you know, taking a, 
if you got a Vanderbilt, I mean, it's not like you're taking underwater basket weaving here. You're you're actually going to class and and taking hard courses, and I mean that's that's not an easy thing. And then you got baseball on top of that, right? So so it's it's going to take a, a special person, you know, with discipline and structure, to, you know, in order to, for that to be successful. So um, it's it's certainly interesting, and the types of elite athletes that you know make it typically have that kind of discipline. So um, so, so it'll be a fascinating story for us to, to follow. Yeah, I'm sure there'll be more on all this. I, I would suggest you, if you're not already following Aria <clears throat> with her work at the Tennessean, yeah. um, I would be surprised, but, but follow her because she's done a really good job kind of staying on this from a Vanderbilt perspective. And, and as long as they seem to be kind of the most interested party, I assume there will be news coming out of there at some point. So make sure you're following her on, on Twitter. Um, or X, I, I refuse to, it's still Twitter. It'll always be Twitter to me. Hey, everyone. We're going to take a quick break from our discussion to hear a couple ads from our sponsors. I'm Cindy Lauper. My psoriasis was all over, even on my scalp, which may mean four times the risk for psoriatic arthritis. But Cosentix works on both. Cosentix secukinumab is prescribed for adults with moderate to severe plaque psoriasis 300 milligram dose and adults with active psoriatic arthritis 150 milligram dose. Don't use if you're allergic to Cosentix. Before starting, get checked for TB. Serious allergic reactions, severe skin reactions that look like eczema, and an increased risk of infections, some fatal, have occurred. Cosentix may lower ability to fight infections, so tell your doctor if you have an infection or symptoms like fevers, sweats, chills, muscle aches, or cough, had a vaccine or plan to, or if IBD symptoms develop or worsen. Learn more at Cosentix.com or one Eight four four Cosentix. Ask your doctor about Cosentix. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour, and they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com. T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N dot com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. You can start your day off right. When you find a professional on Angie to get your plumbing right first. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Visit Angie.com. You can do this when you Angie that. Um. Okay, Mark, um, this is a segment where you're going to do some heavy lifting. You, you, uh, you were in Tuscaloosa last weekend. Um, yeah. You know, we were both at fall games last weekend, but, you know, neither Clemson or Coastal are in the SEC. So those who are interested in those clubs will have to just read my fall reports coming out in the next, in the coming days, next week or so. Um, but you were there for Alabama-Auburn, little rivalry action in the fall in Tuscaloosa. Um, I'm going to clear out the paint for you, Mark, and toss you the ball. Yeah. Um, oh, one one quick thing. If you've not done so, Mark did a fantastic um, piece from that game with some some on field observations, but also some like big picture stuff. So it, I think it did a really good job of kind of encapsulating everything there. So if you've not read that yet, uh, please do so over at SEC Extra at D One Baseball dot com. Uh, go ahead, Mark. What do you got? Well, we'll t- we'll talk about both teams. But we'll start with Alabama. Um, they have one position starter returning the catcher and all of these new, all of these newcomers, all of these freshmen, all of these transfers, junior college transfers, D one transfers, everything. And they're all sort of competing, right? So normally when you go into a fall, 
you might be looking for one or two starters, maybe three starters uh, in your position group, and they're, they're looking basically for everybody, everybody, right? So, so that's what makes it, you know, they're a fascinating team because they they definitely brought in some talent. I think they're going to hit. Uh, Gage Miller is a guy that, that to remember. Junior college transfer was it? I believe he was at Bishop last year. Originally a Pens- uh, Pennsylvania kid. He's an infielder, and Rob Vaughn said one of the first people he he brought up was this kid has barreled everything since he showed up. You know, he's just one of these kids. You look at him and yeah, it's a nice player, and then he gets out there and you watch him hit, and it's like whoa, okay, we got something here. So I mean, he's he's a breakout candidate. Now we'll, we'll see. If, you know how that continues, but th- that that was somebody he, you know, that's going to play somewhere. You know whether he's third, they have, whether they DH him or playing at first or whatever. So th- that part is interesting. And there's a freshman shortstop, Justin LeBron, and really toolsy, really athletic kid, competitive, and he has the look of you know one of these SEC shortstops. It's going to be a going to be a guy. Now whether he's ready as a freshman. Is, you know, what remains to be seen, but he's going to get the opportunity. Uh, so th- those were two two guys that stood out. And I think the other thing is Alabama had more pitching than I expected. Um, ben Hess did not throw, and he they do expect him to throw in the next ex- exhibition game against Florida State, and they are expecting him to be, you know, good to go in the spring, which would be huge. You know, he was their, their ace that, that missed the ball the last half of the season. Um, but Riley Quick is a guy I think could be, you know, he could be a star. He's got the, you know, he was 98, he had a 92, 93 mile an hour slider. I mean, it's all hard, man. And if he locates, um, you know, he could be, you know, one of the best pitchers in the conference. Um, the other guy, you know, Alton Davis the second. Uh, they are considering stretching him out and seeing what he could do as a starter. Just, you know, they're going to, I think a lot of it will depend on what some other people do, you know, and do they really need him? You know, is is he one of their best three starting candidates? Because he's so good at the end of the game. Um, And then the other piece I would mention is Pierce George, the Texas transfers, sophomore, really wasn't healthy at Texas last year, didn't, make the most of his, the few opportunities he got. And he came in, was he was sitting at 100 miles an hour. It's not like he flashed it. I mean, it was, it was constant. And he only threw an inning and struck out two and got a weak fly ball on the other, on the third out. But it was, I mean, he, he looked like a, a guy. Now, whether he can sustain that, you know, consistently, that will be one of the keys to Alabama's season. Because if you got a guy like that at the end of the game, um, maybe you, maybe Davis can can play all kinds of different roles, right? And he can be a stopper. So uh, I think that was from an Alabama perspective, and we can get into Auburn in a minute. I'll let you let you uh, jump in, but I, I think for me, I was surprised at how many uh, arms that they had who were effective and and who had stuff, right? The legitimate uh, top end SEC stuff. Yeah, it's it's a good reminder because I. I think we look at what Alabama lost in the portal, you know, obviously Colby Shelton, Luke Holman, they'd love to have those guys who wouldn't, mm-hmm. but I mean, it could have been a lot worse, right? I mean, they held on to some guys who were going to be 
Alton Davis and, and Riley Quick, to name just two, could have pretty much chosen their destination, right? Um, but they 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 didn't. They stuck around, so that's huge. And, th- and I was going to say quickly on on Riley Quick, no pun intended, that he was a guy last year who, you know, so Aaron saw Alabama last fall and was was really excited about Riley Quick. And, and he had his moments uh, last, last spring, but he was a guy who, when I would talk to other coaches about him, they were like, I thought his stuff would be better, you know, like, and so, and you wrote in that piece that, you know, you got a quote from, from Rob Vaughn that like, you know, last year he was really focusing on like sinking it, you know, and, and trying to get movement and they lowered his arm slot and that, you know, um, and it feels like this year and you, you could correct me if I'm wrong, but it feels like this year they're just kind of like, Hey, why don't we just let him air it let out? It rip. <laughs> yeah. Um, cause it turns out 98 is tough <laughs> regardless. Yeah. So Yes, yeah, so that'll that'll be interesting because he was a guy that, that, like I said, I got some feedback on that was just like, he's definitely going to be a guy, but it's just I expected his stuff to be a little better, and I think now we kind of understand understand why. So, um, tell me a little bit a little bit about Auburn Market. Wasn't their best day on Friday? It seemed like, but well, um, I think that's attributable ahead, probably to to a couple of things. I mean, they had just started fall fall drills. They've they the mo they had played one uh, the most they had played was one four inning inner squad game. So to go out and play 14 innings uh, this early was ambitious. Um, of course, you know, they, they, they kind of delayed starting a little bit. Butch had knee surgery and then, you know, they've got the, the construction going on, you know, on campus with the facility where they're making some changes. They're going to have a, basically a hall of fame area, a premium seating behind home plate. That's going to, it's on target to be available for this year. And then, then they're going to kind of pause the construction and play a season, um, maybe do a little bit on road trips and things like that. And then they're going to do, you know, really a whole bunch of other things all, all the way around the stadium. And then kind of one thing I'll, I'll highlight is they're going to have those like uh, uh, rail seatings at the top of the monster right, where you have your drink there and you can stand and watch the game from up there, which, you know, what what baseball fan wouldn't wouldn't want to experience that? That seems like a really cool deal. So on the field, I do think that, you know, because they really couldn't stretch pitchers out, they they had hitters that, you know, hadn't hadn't seen a lot of pitching yet. Certainly the, the, the quality that Alabama threw at them, uh, I, I think that, that that attributed to their showing but certainly on the mound, they've got so much returning. Uh, I do think that that's going to be – they're going to have one of the deepest uh, pitching staffs in, in the SEC. Right now, Butch says that's a problem because nobody's separating themselves. So he didn't know – you know, his quote was, I don't know who my dudes are, right? And and, and that's something, obviously, the more they work this fall and into, into spring, uh, they're, they're hoping to find their dudes. One dude that they, you know, if he's healthy, he's a dude is Joseph Gonzalez. And and Butch was explaining how they plan to to handle him. You know, he was a guy through opening day last year, through five innings and never pitched the rest of the year. And it was kind of this tease, tease, tease. I think he's going to be ready after this date and after this date. And he just, he never, never got it back. So he had some minor surgery with Dr. Andrews and, and, and they're ready. They, they think um, that, that he's going to be, you know, available for them this spring. So what they're going to do is he started throwing now and he's going to continue to, to kind of con- 
slowly build all through the fall and the winter. And he's not going to take a break at the end. You know, most people go home for Christmas or whatever. He's going to stay and continue his, his ramp. And then they're hoping that, you know, opening day, he's going to be one of the more ready people in the country because he's, you know, he's just continued his ascension. And he's, you know, it's a big year for him from a draft standpoint, from a, you know, it's his last year at Auburn for, for Auburn's, you know, team to have a guy like that to, to, to lead the staff. Uh, so, so that's a key. I think uh, Herbert Holtz, you know, pitched last year. They're really looking for him to, to, to be one of the starters. And then Tanner Ballman, uh, Butch mentioned, he's he's a guy he's expecting to take a jump this year. Left-handed reliever, uh, he could fill a lot of roles on that team. Could, could, you know, and so I think pitching-wise, that's the strength. Um, offensively or, or position-wise, uh, Ike Irish uh, at catcher was was you know that's that's certainly noteworthy you know he came in as a catcher really played dh i think he played a little first but uh that was that was what he was last year in his great offensive freshman season you know he's going to hit it's just a question of uh can he stick as the everyday catcher or is he a you know partial you know situational catcher and continues to dh you know he's going to play somewhere so that was that's interesting cooper mcmurray did not play you know, he, you know, that was one of their bigger success stories last year. A guy kind of, kind of came out of nowhere, and uh, Kansas transfer and, and and had a great year. Of course, you know, you got Pierce in the outfield and Stansfield. Those are, those are really good building blocks. You know, for their for their team offensively, uh, and then they've got some some transfers that that they really like, like Cooper Weiss and uh, Derek Fabian. That that could be, could be guys right for them. So. A lot of a lot of pieces there, but you know, kind of like with Alabama, they've got to figure out who's going to fill what roles, uh, you know, in the lineup and and uh, on the mound. You know, who's you've got a lot of options, but how is this going to shake out? And, and of course, they're, they're those teams are not the only ones with that situation or in, in early fall. But certainly, that was the primary takeaways I, I took from last weekend. Yeah, all good stuff. I. I... <clears throat> from from the pitching standpoint for Auburn, I, w- I would say a couple things. One is that in years when Auburn's pitching is a little more touch and go, they still manage like last year. They still mm-hmm. manage to like figure it out well enough. So if we come into a year where Butch is really excited about what they have on the mound, yeah. I think that signals they could be really good on that side. So yeah. that'll be interesting to watch uh, play out as time goes on. And with Joseph Gonzalez, when I read the quote, as you described how they were going to handle him, as I read that quote, I kind of thought maybe there was a, an element of, you know, last year they kind of, I don't want to say played around with him. Cause that means that like they were it's got a negative connotation. But, yeah. yeah. But they, they were just like, they were trying to figure out how to best mm-hmm. give him what he needed. Right. So they, you know, they rested him in the fall and then in the spring they like, you know, were kind of careful with him. And then he pitched on opening day or opening weekend. I don't know if it was actually opening day, but pitched opening weekend and, then they shut him down and they kept like doing this thing where it was like, we're going to try it again in however many weeks and we're going to evaluate him. And it just kind of felt like kicking the can down the road. So I wondered if the approach they're taking now is, is, is also kind of some element on like, we just need to like get you on the mound and see if it's going to happen. And if it doesn't, okay, but we need to find out, <laughs> you mm-hmm. know? Um, 
and look, they, they want to do right by the kid too. Like I'm not suggesting they just need to, t- they're basically just telling him to like, Hey, figure it out or don't. Um, but, but I'm just saying like, we need to know what we have and you as a pitcher need to know what you're dealing with. So we can kind of both figure uh-huh. out how we need to approach it. You know, whereas last year felt a lot more, you know, day to day on like, well, let's just see how he feels mm-hmm. today. Let's see how he feels tomorrow. Well, well, Butch mentioned that, uh, he and, uh, Everett Tiford, their, uh, pitching coach, they went through, I mean, and, and included Joseph in this process of trying to understand, okay, what is the best plan? Okay. Here are the different ways we could approach this. A lot of different ways to take it. Right. And what's going to work best, you know, for, to, to get him ready and set him up for success. And, and that, that's not just, you know, arm care. That's, that's the mental approach. That's the, you know, the, the rest between, um, between outings or between pins and, you know, all of these different factors that you have to consider and, and what pitches you're throwing, how many you're throwing each time and all of those different things. And how do you ramp to be at your best? And, and when should, when should you be your best? I mean, you're shooting for opening day, of course, cause that's when the games count, but you really don't have to be at your best opening day. You need to be, at, you, you need to be there for the, you know, for the stretch run. And how, how do you get there? So I, I do think that because uh, Butch is such a, um, he, he's, he's really into the mental side of the game. And I had a great conversation with him. I can't wait for, the, for this story to run. Um, just, just how they, not just this situation, but that's, this is an example, but just in general, you know, managing a, a team and managing a program and all the different nuances that go into it that are more than just, you know, between the baselines. And, and he's really good at that. And, and to get, to get insight on that is, is going to, you know, it's going to be a fascinating read for, for college baseball fans and you, and really for anyone who's, who's coaching or leading to just to have that insight from somebody who's been successful at it. No doubt. I look, I'm looking forward to it as well. Uh, quickly, a couple of other items as, as we look to wrap here, um, Aaron fit, our colleague, uh, was at Arkansas fall world series earlier this week. Um, he passed along a couple notes uh, from, from what he saw there. I think it's worth worth jumping into a little bit. He mentioned that Arkansas's high-profile pitchers, Hagan Smith, Brady Tiger, Mason Molina, have looked great. They've looked the part. That they've shown everything you'd, you'd want to see there. Um, but then freshmen like Gabe Gakel and Hunter Dietz, who you know I've heard a lot of positive things about this fall as well, uh, have have given the staff a look that maybe it's it's going to have impressive depth. And look, we've we've heard this before about Arkansas Mm -hmm. and and sometimes it doesn't play out that way. And and injuries have been a part of that, but um, so, you know, I'm not saying I'm dubious of it. I understand where that thought is coming from. We'll just kind of have to see it, see it play out. But, but Gakel in particular seems like a really interesting guy. I mean, the the Mm -hmm. stuff I watched some video on him earlier today, cause I hadn't really seen him. It's, but it's video from his high school days. And um, you know, Interesting, you know, interesting delivery, not the biggest guy, but the stuff is the stuff is big time. And Aaron compared it to Brady Tigard in terms of it's super high spin curveball is his bread and butter. Um, But the fastball velo is actually better than what Tiger typically is. So that'll be interesting to see there on the offensive side. um, Aaron mentioned again that it's, you know, they're doing a good job of plugging holes through the portal. And so, you know, Bahiva Aloy from Sacramento State obviously is a big name there and he's looked the part, but Aaron also really liked Jack Wagner, who is from Tarleton state began his career at Kansas, went to Tarleton state and really broke out. He compared him to kind of a 
Chris Lanzilli, Jared Wagner type of, of player in terms of what he'll bring Hitterish. to the table. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, you know, you know, I, I've, I've heard different things on this. You know, I've always given Arkansas a lot of credit. They seem to, they do a really good job with transfers on the position player side. And, you know, and I, I've talked to some coaches who have kind of looked at it in one way and, and they've said like, you know, you're Arkansas, where are your homegrown position player dudes? Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I get that, I, I guess. Um, but then I'll talk to other coaches and they're like, who cares? Like they're still winning a bunch of games. They're, they're still mm-hmm. getting to Omaha pretty regularly. I mean, I don't, okay. They're not, you know, they're not having homegrown players, but they're recruiting transfers who are exactly what they need. Like what's the problem here? So, mm-hmm. but it kind of looks like they're, they're still doing a, a really good job of that. And, and Aaron kind of put a fine point on it and said, it, it looks like another kind of, you know, slam dunk top five, top 10 type Arkansas team, you know, ho-hum because <laughs> that's yeah. just kind of what, what their standard is now. So that'll be, um, I'm looking forward to, to obviously seeing them in the spring. Yeah, I mean that. I mean they look like one of the favorites to win it all. Honestly, just just if those those new new pitchers. I mean, you know, if if Molina is you know what he's expected to be, you know, coming over from Tech, um, and then you got the was it Gakel Deeds. I mean, you got some some real options to supplement an already strong returning returning group and that was the problem last year they just didn't they had good pitchers they just didn't have enough and doesn't look like you know doesn't look like that's going to be the issue this this spring we shall certainly see on that uh they're wrapping up here pretty soon they went early on fall so they're, they're kind of the outlier almost in uh you know missouri goes fairly early too because of weather reasons but um most sec clubs starting a little later arkansas went early and so they're they are wrapping up here pretty soon uh, one final thing, I uh, just wanted to give you, the listeners, kind of an idea of, of stuff we have coming up. Um, so make sure you're following Mark and I on, on social media. I'm at Joe Healy D1. Mark is at, at Mark Etheridge. Um, because we are doing some more fall coverage coming up. Um, so obviously we'll have stuff for the website. You know, we'll have some written content. We'll, we'll talk about it on the podcast. But a lot of times we're also firing off kind of quick thoughts on social media um, as we're there. So I've, I'm leaving for a trip this weekend that'll take me uh, to, to Tennessee, Tennessee, they're playing Virginia tech. Um, that'll be a lot of fun from an atmosphere standpoint because they, they play those games like they did last year against Memphis at neutral sites and they draw a bunch of fans. And so that should be just a, a neat experience. If nothing else, I'll also see Missouri. I'm, I'm dropping in their fall world series. I'll see Vanderbilt against wake. Um, going to be some arms in the mound that day. I would have to imagine. Um, and then I'm going to see Kentucky as they, as they start to wrap up their fall against Moorhead state, um, a couple of, uh, of weeks from now, in addition to, I'll also see a few teams outside of, of the sec, but this is my most sec heavy fall trip. I have, I will see Georgia and Florida later in the fall. I'll see Georgia against Kennesaw state in November, and then I'll be there for Florida's fall world series the second weekend in November. But, but speaking of which Mark, you will also be at the, the, the cocktail party based, mm-hmm. um, between Georgia and Florida and Jacksonville. So, um, you know, again, if fans aren't following us on social media, do so because we will have all kinds of stuff coming out about those various fall games. And, and we're excited to, uh, to bring it to you. Yeah. Fired up. That, yeah, absolutely. We're, we're, we're in the meat of fall ball now mm-hmm. around the sec. So that, that's exciting for sure. So, uh, that is going to do it for this edition of highway to Hoover, a production of sec extra at d1baseball.com. 
Um, thank you to Pitch Logic for sponsoring this and every D1 baseball uh, Highway to Hoover podcast moving forward toward the 2024 season. Thank you, as always, to Mark, and thank you, the listener, for listening. We'll talk to you all soon. The Highway to Hoover podcast is part of the SiriusXM Sports Podcast Network. If you enjoyed this episode and want to hear more, please give a five-star rating and leave a review. Subscribe today wherever you stream your podcasts. Hi, I'm Cindy Lauper. My scalp was covered with psoriasis. Felt like I was trapped between a rock and a hard place. Then I started Cosentix. Cosentix Secukinumab is prescribed for adults with moderate to severe black psoriasis 300 milligram dose. Don't use if you're allergic to Cosentix. Before starting, get checked for TB. Serious allergic reactions, severe skin reactions that look like eczema, and an increased risk of infections, some fatal, have occurred. Cosentix may lower ability to fight infections, so tell your doctor if you have an infection or symptoms like fevers, sweats, chills, muscle aches, or cough, had a vaccine or plan to, or if IBD symptoms develop or worsen. Learn more at Cosentix.com or 1-844-COSENTIX. Cosentix works for me. Ask your doctor about Cosentix. Angie's list is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is. And it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today.